All right, thank you. Welcome home. It's great to be back. Um, I'm glad you're here. Uh, got a lot planned. I want to thank, uh, where are you? Ryan Johnson. Thank you for doing a great job filling in with the message last week. Um, it was Halloween. Do you know what he was thinking about doing? He's thinking about dressing up as me. <laughs> with the multicolored Easter shirt and everything. Yeah, a little, little bold for the new guy, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. Um, if uh, Real quick, if there was anybody who was around the College Center on Friday, um, you know about the disturbance. Uh, this won't mean a lot to the rest of you, but I, I want to apologize. Um, I want to apologize uh, because um, the guys who were there uh, from out of state had not met, um, but I, I think really um, attacked and condemned a lot of people. And um, my greatest hope is that uh, people would not get, first of all, children may be dismissed for children's church. Thank you, Mia. Thank you. You don't need to be here for this. I know, it felt a little like punishment, didn't it? If you're between the ages of three and fifth grade, I'd, I'd be booking it upstairs. There's great, great. Let me say this. When you are fully surrendered to Jesus and the Holy Spirit abides in you and fills you, what comes out of your life increasingly is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Not combative condemnation. Um, These guys may well be part of our family. That's not mine to judge. But just remember that the good news of Jesus Christ doesn't start with the word hell. Um, I'm going to leave it at that. Lots to do, lots to do. Uh, Let's get started. Acts chapter 15. Uh, If you have a Bible, you want to open it there. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's probably one under one of the seats in front of you. Uh, And if you don't own a Bible, that's yours to keep. It's free, really. It is. Uh, Here's all you have to do. After the service, when nobody's looking, just kind of stuff it under your shirt and run out of the building. It's yours to keep. We want everybody to have one. Um, read it. It'll change your world. Um, great. Uh, raise your hand, please, if you have ever purchased uh, one of the Nordic Track uh, cross-country skiing simulating exercise machines. Yes? Yes, I feel a certain kinship with you. Uh, uh, okay, great. Janet, uh, how, how far after midnight was it when you ordered it? No? No? <laughs> Really, yeah. How much did you get for it at the garage sale? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, not too much. Um, when Quincy was a little girl, we um, so this is a long time ago. Actually, I don't think she was born yet. We were living in New Orleans. Um, I wanted to get in shape. So uh, we didn't have any money. I mean, no money. So I had the brilliant idea that I was going to use the credit card for this, right? Uh, but before I bought it, I did my research. I watched the whole infomercial, right? And um, I didn't only buy the introductory level uh, Nordic track. I bought the deluxe edition that also has the electronics because here's, here's what I'm thinking. Not only do I want to get in shape, but I think if I spend a lot of money on this, then of course I'm going to use it, right? Ever, ever thought that? Yeah. That worked for me for 19 days, 19 days. But when my, when my passion for getting in shape went out the window, so did the Nordic track. 
And, and, you know, if I look at my life, so did the treadmill and the elliptical trainer and the ab sculptor and the buns of steel DVDs. <laughs> oh, don't laugh. They worked. Um, because here's the thing. I changed my equipment, but unless I changed my heart, I was just going to go on and off and on and off and on and off. And if you have that kind of attitude toward exercise equipment, it'll cost you a lot of money. If you and I have that kind of attitude toward walking with Jesus, it can cost us our souls. And uh, the good news is, the good news is that we have in Jesus a God who always calls us to return to him, to reconnect, get jump-started, get reignited. In Jesus, we have the God of the second chance, another chance, and um, all of us need that. Let's pray and we'll dig in. Lord, um, we're so grateful to have the opportunity to be here in your presence with each other. Lord, to, to see you with new eyes, new ears, with a new heart, to receive your word, to be touched by your spirit, to be changed, Lord. So I ask that you open eyes, open ears, open hearts, Lord, and that you pour out your truth, your spirit, your very presence before us so that we might be transformed. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are not only just, but you are merciful. What a great gift. We look forward to what you're going to do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Um, for... The better part of two weeks, um, God has been pressing on my heart um, the, the, the need for this message, and, and, and it just so happens that it, it comes in our progression through Acts. Um, and so I, I, I'm just looking forward to what the Holy Spirit's going to do in me and in you this morning. Um, as we get into the end of chapter 15, uh, if we just provide a little context, Paul and Barnabas uh, have just gotten a little R&R from their first big missionary journey, right? They're traveling around to different cities. They're explaining to people God's great love, uh, especially for those who are far from them, from him, that he came uh, in person, in the flesh of Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life. He, he died on the cross for their sins as their substitute, uh, as ours, and that they can find new life and healing and hope and forgiveness and transformation, all of that in him. So they've done that, and now they're ready uh, for another road trip. So here we go. We're going to pick it up in verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. So what they're doing is sort of a spiritual checkup, right? They're, they want to check people up and make sure they're, they're doing, you know, they're, they're walking with Jesus. That's, that's kind of what we do here every week, you know. Uh, we want to come. We want to do a checkup. We want to get, get healthy and, and go back out. It's great. We don't want to be like men who don't go to the doctor because you think if you don't go, nothing will be wrong, right? Right. We don't want that. 37, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. Now, Barnabas is uh, wanting to take, Mark had gone uh, on the first journey with them. He wants to take him again, right? Now, 
I just want to explain John Mark to you a little bit. Now, this is the mark, the mark of the gospel. Uh, what had happened was there's tons of people named John, right? So that's his uh, Jewish name. That's, so they're good, like everybody they run into is John. So they got to call him something else. So his Roman name is Marcus, Mark. So they're going to go with Mark. So it's like Ryan in this church, right? Every guy you bump into is Ryan. So because we want to be biblical, Ryan Johnson, from now on, you're Mark, okay? That's how we're doing it. Okay, so he, he wants Mark to come along with them, but there's a big problem. Here it is, verse 38. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now, apparently, apparently what has happened is during this missionary journey, somewhere in the middle, Mark gets disenchanted with this and goes back home to his old life. And Paul says, uh-uh, uh-uh, not him. He's not coming. He's not coming. That's what happens. And 39, I want you to take a look at this. And there arose a sharp disagreement. This is Bible speak for a throwdown. This is a knockdown. Now, before we get into what this is about, we're going to spend some time with this sharp disagreement. Do you, don't you think if the early church leaders were tinkering with the scriptures, as some believe, that Paul and Barnabas wouldn't have gotten in there and just crossed out the part of them having like a, a cat fight? Don't you think? It's the same reason why our parents never fought when company was over. You just, you know, people don't need to know about that. But it happened. It happened. And if you're familiar with the passage, if you're familiar with how this plays out, you've got Barnabas saying, yeah, bring Mark. Paul saying, nah, I ain't going with him. You know, I always thought of Paul as kind of the hard nose, kind of like those guys that were on, on the campus, you know, coal eating, diamond producing, you're crusty rigid fundamentalist, and that Barnabas was the good guy. But I was wrong. I was wrong. There's, there's no good and, and, and bad here. Uh, what the Lord really impressed upon me in this text is that Paul's perspective and Barnabas's perspective represent two qualities of God that are coexistent and, and are important for us to grasp both of them, Okay. Paul is representing God's justice, his holiness and his justice, and Barnabas is representing his grace and his mercy. Both of these things are true, and both of these things we see realized in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. So here's here's what we're looking at. We're going to take a look at what this sharp argument might have been like, right? What do you think it was like? Now, granted, I'm, I'm kind of leaning into the text a little bit here, but it might have gone something a little like this. Now, it wouldn't have started off like real hot, but that's not the fun stuff. We're going to get into like the the hot and the bothered thing. Um, I think it might have gone something like this. Look, Barnabas, this is Paul you're talking to, right? Paul, do you get it? I'm busy writing the Bible. Good chunks of the Bible. There's never going to be a book of Barney. There's never going to be one. In fact, years from now, 
They're going to name a stupid purple singing dinosaur after you. But all that aside, I'm not taking Mark with me. I'm not taking Mark with me. You see, it's not so much that he ditched. It's not so much that he ran away. It's not so much that he left me hanging, which burns me up. It's that he left Jesus hanging. And he doesn't see the problem with that. That's the problem. He ditched Jesus. For what? For what? To go back home and and find, wring the most out of life that he possibly can to get life and freedom and hope and joy somewhere else? He doesn't realize that Jesus invented life and freedom and hope and joy, and it's not found anywhere else but in Jesus. He didn't get that. Okay, okay, let me be fair. He only gets that some of the time. To quote Katy Perry, he's hot, then he's cold. He's yes, then he's no. He's in, then he's out. He's up, then he's down. One day, Mark is, go with me. One day, Mark is fully surrendered to Jesus. The next day, it seems like Mark is fully surrendered to Mark. And I ain't going there. Because if he is fully surrendered to Jesus, then the Holy Spirit of God dwells in him. And the Holy Spirit always, always, always draws us closer and closer and closer to Jesus Christ, not farther and farther away. So you ask me why that is. If he's so good at, at, at pushing away, at leaving. If Jesus is Lord, He deserves and demands 100% of Mark's love, 100% of Mark's attention, 100% of Mark's devotion. He's not the kind of God that says, I'll take whatever I can get from you. I'm happy with that. He's not asking us for a part-time, half-hearted, when I feel like it kind of service. There is no such thing, Barney, as a Christian that follows Jesus some of the time. You want to know what the real problem is? It's not that Mark's a quitter. It's not that Mark runs away. It's that Mark hasn't come to Jesus to have his heart transformed sufficiently to the point where he wouldn't even think of running away. That's the problem. The writing's on the wall. Mark doesn't have what it takes. He's not coming with us. Do you get me? Maybe it went something like that from Paul's perspective. And you know what? If it did, in one real sense, Paul's right. I mean, Mark was dead to rights. He deserves to be rejected not only by Paul, uh, but by Jesus. See, because um, God is just and God does deserve 100%. But that's not the end of the story because it was a sharp disagreement and Barney comes forward with both guns blazing, right? And he says, oh, oh, do I hear you? Yeah, I hear you, Saul. I mean, Paul, or do I? Oh, how quickly we forget where you come from. Really? Really? Now, I might be a stupid purple singing dinosaur, but at least I never persecuted the church. Don't you remember Paul? 
Don't you remember? On the Damascus Road, when the risen Christ appears to you in all his glory and speaks audibly to you, calling your name, calling you out for persecuting the church, and calling you to himself. Knocked you off your horse. Literally, when your life turned, right, and you surrendered to him, you were scared. And get this, you should have been. Because he had every right in his justice, which you were so fond of, to squash you like a bug. To squash you like a bug. But he's also merciful. And he also gave you another chance. And don't you remember that he was there with another chance for you when you least deserved it. And then what was it? You were all about wanting to jump in with both feet. You're going to join Jesus' leadership team. So you come over to Jerusalem and you want to get together with Peter and John and all the boys, all the apostles. But there's a problem. They don't want to touch you with a 10-foot pole because they know what a Jesus-hating, believer-killing loser you used to be. And they don't believe that Jesus has transformed your heart. So they don't want you coming with them. Don't you remember? Do you remember what happened next? Go back to Acts 9 and read it. I put my arm around you. And I walked you into that room. And I said, this man is our brother. Yes, he has a past of hating Jesus and hating his followers. But yes, he has been called by Christ. Yes, he has been surrendered to Christ. Yes, he has been saved by Christ. Yes, he belongs to Jesus Christ. And because of that, he belongs to me. And because of that, he belongs to us. We serve the God of the second chance. That's what the cross is all about, Paul. And they said, okay, let him come. He's one of us. Paul, the Holy Spirit, showed me all the things that he would do through you to share the gospel with the nations and establish Christ's church. And Paul, the same Holy Spirit, has shown me what's going on in Mark. He's not there yet, but Jesus has a hold of him. He's my cousin. If you doubt it, look at your own writings to the Colossian church in the fourth chapter, 10th verse. I've watched him grow up. And you might not see it on the outside in all the ways that he, he lives and, and, and is having victory yet, but God, Jesus Christ, is doing a transforming work on Mark's heart on the inside, and he is going to use him mightily. And the Spirit has shown me that not only do you not want him with you now, but at the end of your life, he's going to be your companion and your friend and your assistant in ministry. He's going to link up with Peter and travel the world with him, preaching the gospel, recording many of Peter's thoughts in, in a gospel presentation of the Bible. He's going to be a co-author. We serve Jesus. And Paul, don't you remember? Don't you remember when we were little boys, and we were in the synagogue. They'd read a lot of stuff that would go way over my head and bore me to tears. But didn't your heart swell up with joy when they read from Isaiah 50, 
when they read from Isaiah 42, when they wrote about Jesus and they said, a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Jesus does not throw out a life because it's damaged. He doesn't break off the reed. He heals it. He doesn't snuff out the smoldering wick. He reignites it. That's what he wants. That's what he's doing. That's what we need to give him the opportunity to do in Mark. And the world will be changed because of it. We serve a God of the second chance, Paul. And if that's how it went down, Barnabas would be right. Because Jesus is not only just, but he's merciful. He's merciful. And that's a great thing. Jesus will forgive and restore those who repent and return to him and not destroy them. He wants all of his people home. All of them. All the time. Our Jesus is the God of the second chance and he gave Mark a second chance through Barnabas and he'll give us a second chance as well. So what happened after that? End of 39. There arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went throughout, throughout Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. That wasn't the end of the story for Mark. Jesus even used this sharp disagreement for his own glory. Romans eight twenty eight, right? God works all things together for the good for those who love him, called according to his purpose. He now had two ministry teams, people who were fired up about him and going in different directions, sharing the same story. Paul, as he was getting ready, um, he's in his final days of life. He knows he's almost gone. He writes in 2 Timothy 4.11, almost pleading to Timothy. He writes, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. Jesus brought Mark back, plugged him in, reignited, reconnected, used him in miraculous ways. Tradition says he was martyred uh, after having founded a, a major church and dragged behind a chariot through the streets of the city. It took two days. All he had to do was renounce Christ. He wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. This argument, about bringing one along who failed. It's not just about Mark and his failures in following Jesus. It's about me and you and our failures in following Jesus and knowing both God's justice in deserving and demanding that we keep the first commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And without that grace, nobody, 
not Paul, not Barnabas, not Mark, not you, not me, can make it. How do we walk away? Well, sometimes things happen to us. People, maybe even church people, do things to us that shake us so badly to the core. Maybe they sin against us. Maybe they abuse us and hurt us that we lash out at God and say, how could you let this happen? I'm done. I'm done. Sometimes we do it in obvious ways that everybody around us can see. Hey, you used to really be into this Jesus thing. You used to be really excited about being with his people and in church and being in his word and, 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 and living out the gospel and loving people. Doesn't seem like you're so into that anymore. Or at all. Sometimes we do it in obvious ways, right? But it's subtle, isn't it? I mean... Look, I am so bad. This is one of my great shortfalls. I don't keep in touch with friends real well if they don't live here anymore. I'm just bad. It's a good thing I'm married to Shri because she's very good. Right? Have you lost touch with people that you genuinely love, you genuinely care about, right? Here's what happens is just some time goes on and you don't intend to lose touch, but, you know, a month goes by and, and then two months and, then it's been a year since you've corresponded with them or talked to them or visited them, and then several years, and then the reality is there are people that we love we'll never talk to again. And you didn't plan to do that. It just happened. What happens with our hearts with God is that the longer we create this distance, we get this hardness that makes it easier and easier to go farther away and stay there. And the Holy Spirit continues to press on us, but we, come, we become a little deaf to his voice. And sometimes we don't do it in obvious ways. Sometimes, sometimes it's private. Sometimes it's invisible when we have distance between us and, and Jesus Christ, right? Sometimes it's just the realization that sometime in our lives, sometime in our past, when we were in high school or when we were somewhere else or a different chapter of our lives, there was a time when I found such great joy in being in the word on a regular basis. I would indulge in the sweetness of prayer, just being heard, just hearing from God, just being held in his presence. I would be energized by that. I'd steal away at different times a day. I would be on my knees and on my life, while my circumstances weren't, weren't all lining up, my life was so filled with peace and joy and the expectation that God was going to move. He was moving. He was going to act. He is acting. And I was mindful of him. I was mindful of the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by mindful is my mind was full constantly of the awareness of his nearness, his presence, his beauty, his sacrifice. I was consumed by it. Those were good days. And you still come to church and you still go to small group and you still do this Bible study. But invisibly, in a private way that only you and God know, for whatever reason, it's not as good as it was. It's not as close as it was. It's not as passionate as it was. And Paul was right. And the Holy Spirit comes in. He's always drawing us every moment, every day, closer and closer 
and closer. So many, many people here. Um, I dealt with this in my own life this week. Are dead to rights. Yeah. We've waned in our love. We've waned in our commitment and devotion to Christ. And we need to hear the truth. That not only are we busted. That's the bad news. The good news is that this is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus came. That if we'll reconnect. The the Old Testament says, return to me and I will return to you. Those good days, those best days are a moment away. He wants to restore, rekindle, relight, jumpstart. Give you a second chance, another chance, a new chance, a new life, a new future. But it's in him. And we got to return. We got to return. We got to be brokenhearted over the fact that we've walked away. In obvious big ways, in small, subtle, private, invisible ways. And that brokenheartedness turns into joy when we come to him in repentance because here's what he says. I covered it. I forgive it. I'm forgetting it. It's as if your past doesn't exist. We're starting fresh right now. Come on. Come on. So here's his invitation. Um, We're going to close. Isaiah wrote of the compassion of the Lord through Jesus Christ. Right? He wrote this. Come, everyone who thirsts. I want you to hear this, please, as the Holy Spirit's call upon your heart. Not Tom speaking. Let the Spirit speak to you. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come by and eat. This grace is a gift. Come by milk and wine without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in the richest of foods. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may We, we, we serve the God of the second chance and the third and the fourth and the 90th and the 200th. Because no matter how deep our rebellion is, no matter how deep our inability or unwillingness to stay in lockstep with Jesus is, his grace is greater. His grace is enough. God is just. Thank God he's also merciful. For if he were not, 
which one of us could stand? The, the call. I want you to just reflect on, uh, I'm going to take a quiet moment. Ryan, if you just sing that chorus, let God speak to your heart. Just let God speak to your heart.